Larry, I am totally blessed by you and Kathy. So it's been just awesome getting to know you as well as the other elders and of course you guys as a church. So uh, thank you so much for gathering here today. Um, for the past couple of weeks, like Peter mentioned, uh, we've been going through Why Church Matters series, right? And so the first one we went over was what is a church, which is important to have a good understanding of what, a church, what, we, what we mean when we say church. And then also last week we talked about who can belong to a church. However, today I will be preaching on why do we gather? This is a question worth asking in today's culture, which has a wide variety of advanced technology and can supply sermons with a click of a button. And where you and I can stay in touch even if I were across the world in a different country. We can have virtual community teaching and get, even give monetarily online. If that was all a church was and was called to be, then we wouldn't even need to gather here physically in this day and age. Yet the Bible calls us to do more than just to hear teaching, to have social events, and to give money to a church. While churches will include those things, God calls the local church to do much more, to look after one another and promote the gospel in each other's lives. Yet even still, we struggle with gathering. This passage in Hebrews shines some light on uh, the importance of gathering, as well as speaks to the struggles that um, the people in the book of Hebrews struggled with gathering, as well as why we struggle to gather. Now, Hebrews is the only book of the Bible written like a sermon. Um, we have sermons recorded in the Bible, like the Sermon on the Mount, but Hebrews is special in this way that the whole book is written like a sermon. But it's quite lengthy, isn't it? <laughs> Try reading in one sitting, which would be great, but it's pretty long. And this passage, Hebrews 10, is right you know, near the end of it, so... I'm going to give a little bit of context to the type of people that the author of Hebrews has been addressing to before we move forward. So what has the author of Hebrews been discussing up to this point? Well, he is addressing to a people who are Jewish first of all. Time and time again, he addresses people who are very fond of Judaism, um, which adhere to the laws of the Old Testament and also laws that were added on top of the laws in the Bible. These Jewish people were tempted to turn back to Judaism because they were experiencing social pressures for turning their back on Judaism for Christ. This is because every time they met, they were proclaiming that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, fulfilling the Old Testament and what God had promised. So what the people in the book of Hebrews are, were being ostracized from their earthly families because of their dedication to meeting with their new family found in God. The people in this book are gathering with all different types of um, social classes, which would be more extreme than if a doctor had a meal with a homeless person in our culture. It's even more extreme than that. In this culture, in the book of Hebrews, however, that kind of social separation was a huge part of their society, which is why meeting together and abandoning Judaism was so costly. Even though these people at the time were not experiencing physical persecution. And so, some were neglecting to meet together because the cost was becoming too weighty. The author of Hebrew, however, makes case that the ultimate prize, Jesus Christ, 
is worthy and deserving of all our praise, that Jesus is more than we could ever fathom. Now for us, we struggle as well with going to church, just like the people in the book of Hebrews did. And there are different reasons people struggle with coming and gathering together at church. But in this passage in particular, it speaks to three camps of people. Those being the self-righteous, the drifting, and the complacent. For the self-righteous, the temptation can say in response to the call to gather, I mean, why come to church? Uh, I don't need anyone to keep me on track. I'm a strong enough Christian that I can walk with God without having to rely on other people. I can achieve holiness outside of the church. Or maybe it is perhaps a state of mind that they think that other people would just get in their way with the, in their in the way with their relationship with God and really just slow them down. Now, perhaps you are of the other camp, ones who, when they come to church, are met with their own insecurities and failings. One day during college, um, I had uh, decided after semester of semester, I kept saying I'd go to the gym, I'd go to the gym, and I never went. Um, so finally, I was like, all right, I'm going to go to the gym. And so when I went in there, I'd been in gyms before, but I've never worked out a ton with a lot of different machines. And so, you know, I'm very aware of the crowd of like three or four people <laughs> that are there. And I'm like, I look at them and they seem so confident and sure of what they were doing. And here I was not knowing names of half of the machines and that's being generous. I went ahead and tried to work out, but I just felt so awkward. Was I doing everything right? Was I using this correctly? Am I supposed to feel this tired <laughs> already? Anyways, it eventually became too awkward for me to stay. It became too embarrassing. I was like, I got to get out of here. So I went into the locker, and lo and behold, who do I see? I see um, one of my professors of biblical studies who, m mind you, who reads books on a treadmill <laughs> um, right in front of me. And he was like, um, did you just finish working out? And I responded with, I tried. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't even try to hide my own insecurities and failings of trying to work out. Now, some of us show up to church like that, feeling so out of place, feeling like the weight of the world and the weight of our sin is on our shoulders. Perhaps this person is living under what feels like the full weight of their sin, and they can't bring themselves to church often or even at all because they feel like they need to get some things right before they come to church so they can look and act a certain way. Or perhaps you fall into a different category, one that the people in the, books of, the book of Hebrews struggled with quite a bit. Maybe you struggle with coming and gathering in church not because of self-righteousness or because of insecurities, but it's simply because of complacency. Maybe it's because the busyness of life takes you away from gathering consistently. That you try and make it, but there's just so many things happening. Maybe Sunday is the one day you can rest, so you decide to neglect meeting. In a society where convenience is everywhere and a right to be had, sometimes coming, coming on a Sunday morning can be very inconvenient, and some can be too quick not to come. Now, hear me, what I'm not saying is that you have to show up every single Sunday or you are living in sin and are fundamentally disobeying God. 
that's not what I'm saying. Sometimes circumstances prevent us from coming together. But is it a habit? Are you quick to neglect the gathering as some people in the book of Hebrews were? Do you not gather because of your love for other things outweighs your love for God and the people he called you to be with? It is important to investigate the reasons why we struggle to come to church because the Bible does make the case of why it's important. So we talked about how we often neglect meeting together, but this call to go and to be in a local church remains despite our struggles to do so. The self-righteous, the drifting, and the complacent are still expected to gather. However, simply to gather is not what we're called to do. We are called to gather with a purpose. There are three purposes in particular that this passage lays out. Um, And one of these is the call to worship God. This is to be done not just in word, but in deed and thought and, and in conduct. Verse 22 talks about drawing near to God. We are called to lay aside time and go to God corporately. Christ is our great and high priest who cleansed us from our sins. As verse 22 puts it, we draw near to God with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now there's lots of priestly language throughout the books of he- book of Hebrews and this passage is no exception. Christ purified our hearts like the priests in the Old Testament who would make sacrifices for all the Jews in the camp. So in response to what God has done, we would make, we would worship him. We go to God sincerely thanking him for, with our whole lives, for what he has done for us. And this command to worship God is found throughout the Bible and is inseparable from gathering as a local church. God calls a people to come and to worship him, not just the individual. Notice the language in verse 22, let us draw near. He assumes the corporate nature of gathering. We do so as a people saved by the gospel, um, by the great high priest who intercedes for us. Um, The last song, um, uh, we will feast in the house of Zion, it's we will feast in the house of Zion. We will sing with our hearts. That corporate nature is expected and assumed. Another purpose of gathering together is to hold fast the message of the gospel. Verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Again, that let us language is important. Together we hold on to the confession of our hope that is found in the gospel. Our hope is founded on what Christ has done for us, not what we have done. And he died to save us, sinners. We have come together to profess the truths that are found in the Bible, not wavering or allowing false doctrine to take root, but rather to let the gospel be made known by anyone who comes and sees us by our words and by our deeds. One reasons we one of the reasons we've been doing the Apostle Creed lately, the past two weeks, is so that we can be reminded of the fundamental truths of the gospel, and contrarily to be wary of false doctrines that stray from that. It was and is a way for people to gather and to confess the truths of the gospel. 
Now this holding fast to the gospel also means we must run the race God has set before us. To see Christ as the ultimate prize, the one worth more than anything we could think of or dream up of. In the next chapter, in Hebrews 11, um, he paints um, the heroes of faith, mainly from the Old Testament. People who live their lives in conjunction with the word of God, though not perfectly, they strove for it, having faith in their God to accomplish it, their faith. Hebrews 11, though, goes a step further and says that their hope is not yet completed. For one, the Old Testament figures never lived in a place where, lived in a day and age where Christ had come down and died on the cross and rose again for our sins. Yet, even still, we have a hope that Christ will return, conquering sin and death forever. Hebrews 11, verses 39 and 40 say, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. God, the founder and perfecter of our faith, sent Christ fulfilling his promises and the hopes of the heroes is being accomplished by the faithful gatherings of his people in now and days. Isn't it amazing that we are invited in this after something that has been working through for the before time that he invites us to come and join him. It's amazing. The last purpose of this passage lays out is one of the, what we touched on a little and is woven throughout everything we've talked about. But we are called to fellowship, to gather and to care for one another. Hebrews Chapter 10, verses 23 and 24 says, And let us consider how to stir up love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Notice how the words are very active. We are to pursue love and good works in each other and to not neglect gathering. We are to pursue love for one another. We are to look out for one another. If you see a brother and sister in sin, you can challenge them to act on the truth that is found in the Bible, that God has set them free for. Doing so, of course, in humility, knowing that you yourself struggle with sin as well. You know, don't take a speck out of someone else's eye before you take the plank out of your own, doing all this in humility. And again, we do this to promote love and good works, not to put on some act or be some club of pristine people who meet every single Sunday, but as a gathering, a gathering of people committed to the Bible, to God's word. We must fight against the pressures of this world and remind each other of, again, the Christ Jesus, Christ, Jesus Christ. We're to be in prayer for one another so that we can all be committed to holding fast the gospel and drawing near to God, to our creator and perfecter of our faith, learning from one another and sharing the things that God has taught us through the Holy Spirit and through God's word. We draw near to God through community. and We hold fast to the gospel and community. How many of us come to church with thoughts of our brothers and sisters in Christ? Concern for one another, to the, for the people to our left and to our right, 
the people, if you are members or regular attenders, see every single Sunday. Each one of us has our own struggles and things we're going through, but let us not be like our culture. Our culture teaches us to be narcissistic, looking out only for ourselves and our own pleasure. God calls us, however, to look out for one another, looking for others good and be holding each other accountable to the things God has called us to do. To leave behind our sin and encourage others to do the same, this can only be done in a community. If left to our own devices, we will be swept away by our own selfishness tendencies, but through Christ we can be a community that has true fellowship with people who we may not even like. You can fight all you want with your birth families, and that will never change, though, that they're your family. Um, though you might want to exchange your brother for someone else or sister for someone else, you can't. They're your birth family. We don't choose who our brothers and sisters are in Christ. It's the same in the family of God. We are, however, called to promote love and good works in one another, even if we don't feel like doing so. So those are the purposes of why we gather, to worship God, to hold fast the gospel, and to fellowship and commune with one another. Yet we still struggle. The circumstances I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon still stay the same. Brothers, brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to encourage you. This cannot be done through your willpower. You can try as you might, but you will fail. You feel encouraged yet? <laughs> um, well, but look again to the founder and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. We can only do these things as a people redeemed by God. Hebrews 10, 19 through 24 says, Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. It is God who tore down the curtain, the separation of us from God, making things right between us and the Father. We can have confidence to approach the throne, knowing it is Christ who has set us free from the bondage of sin and not our own works. Rather, because of what he has done, we now live as a people with our hearts sprinkled clean, turning towards the one who redeems us. Is what Christ has done that we get to gather and we get to proclaim the Lord's death and resurrection each week. It is Christ who justifies. And that's one of the blessings of what Christ has done is we get to gather together. To the self-righteous, know that God is the one who completes the good work. He began in you. Notice how the author of Hebrews says to draw near with a true heart or a sincere heart. If all of us are honest, we are not strong as we often think we are or even wish we were. We all struggle in our battle against sin, and the temptation can be to cover up that fact a little bit too quickly. The truth is, we all need encouragement and to be discipled. We never get to a point where we are perfect, though like Paul says in Romans, we ought to strive for perfection knowing we will never achieve it. Furthermore, the Bible calls us and commands us to gather. So 
to simply not gather is a fundamental act of disobedience. Yes, you are required to act and to live righteously, but as an overflow of what God has done in you and a reliance on him. As for the drifting, the, one who are, the ones who are feeling like the sin will crush them, the weight of their sin. To this person, I would ask you to consider the cross. Romans 5.8 says, For God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We come to God as we are, and it is at that point he transforms us. Again, we all struggle with following the commands of God in some way, but this can only be improved when we rely on God to change us. None of us are deserving of God's grace, yet he gives it freely. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22 says, we must draw near with a clean heart. We hold fast to the confession of the gospel, knowing that God is faithful. We can boldly approach the throne like a, um, like a child of the you know, president without fear of the secret service stopping them. We can boldly approach God. Philippians 1, 6 says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to the completion at the day of Jesus Christ. From the moment Adam and Eve sinned, God has been faithful to save us. From the very beginning, he has not wavered. So I implore you to respond to the God who does, give up, does not give up by ourselves not giving up either. Because to try and fix things yourself is just as much of a pride issue as it is to be self-righteous. So turn your eyes and set them on Christ and run the race God has set before you. The people to your left and to your right are in the same race. So know you are not alone. You have God and you have the saints that God is saving, has saved, you are saved. Finally, for the ones who are complacent, consider the prize, the goal, which is Christ. Isn't he worth more than anything this world has to offer? The things we waste so much time and thought and attention and money on, it's just not worth it. Look at your brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling. Don't abandon them or the things God has called you to do. The only reason we can do this is, again, because of the work Christ has done. The only reason we can do this is because of the work of, uh, because our culture is not worth it. We become so distracted by the things of this world, we forget the greatness of Christ. Being with Christ and the amazing fellowship we have with our brothers and sisters goes beyond anything we can ever find in this world. The, think of the best thing you can think of. Christ is better. It's like comparing eating bugs to eating at the finest restaurant. There's just no competition. Do not lose sight of the value of Christ and in the community of believers. I know some of you might have had bad experiences at church, but a people truly redeemed and being redeemed by God, seeking grace and seeking peace and joy is a great privilege that was given to us when Christ died for us. 
a fellowship revolved around drawing near to Christ, holding fast the gospel, and a community that looks out for each other in the face of sorrows and joys is not one easily broken. So come together to help promote love and good works in each other so that we might praise the one who is above every name. The things God calls us to do are hard and it fights against the habits we've built. But it's worth it. Christ the Lord is worth it. He enabled us to be changed and transformed by the wandering working power of the blood, the and life of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest interceding for us. We don't have to do this alone. Christ has saved a people, just not, not just one person. It is through gathering we can find joy and help each other through our walk with Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Lord, I pray that we can be a people marked by your love and your grace, reliant on you in everything we do, and to care for one another, and to not neglect gathering, to not let the things of this world distract us, and to take away what we know is our true hope, the only thing we have to really hold on to through all this, Lord, is you. You have, who have been steadfast through everything. Lord, I thank you for everything that you've done on the cross and in the people that are here today, Lord. I can pray that you continue to work on us, Lord, to sanctify us and draw us together all the more as the day draws near. In Jesus Christ's name.